Hello and welcome to RaiderCast. This is a brand new Tomb Raider themed podcast that's going to delve into the monsters, the myths and the conspiracies from Lara Croft's world. I want to talk to you about aspects of the series that you might not have thought about before. I want to investigate the untold stories, I want to dive in and uncover their secrets. Some episodes will be solo journeys with me, your primary host Chris, talking you through these ancient mysteries, but that's not all. I want to feature people from different parts of the Tomb Raider community, from all over the world, and find out how the series has inspired and influenced them to try and build bridges, and find out more about what unites us as a fandom. So in this first episode, I'm going to be speaking about my Tomb Raider journey from its roots until present. If you've had any interaction with me online over the past, yikes, 15 years, then you'll probably have got the impression that the series is important to me. So I want to talk about the effect it's had on my life and why it means so much to me. First and foremost, this episode was inspired by my friend Laurie, who uploaded a video of her personal Tomb Raider journey to her YouTube channel, Confessions of a Gaming Mum, which I highly recommend. So let's hop back to my childhood. In 94, 95, 96, I was already pretty obsessed with gaming. I was a SNES gamer, dead set that nothing could be more awesome than the games I spent too long playing whenever I had the chance. My childhood was often pierced by the sound of my parents yelling, you'll get square eyes if you keep staring at that screen. Well, who's laughing now? Because my glasses are round. But yeah, back then we only had proper big, chunky, old school 4x3 TVs with aerials, and the curse of having to tune them in to the right channel whenever I wanted anything that wasn't slightly grainy BBC. God, I feel old. But as a side note, my family had a caravan around the side of the house, up against our garage. I can't quite remember why, it wasn't ours. I think we were looking after it for someone. Even though it was old, it smelled damp, and I'm pretty sure its wheels were broken. One wet autumn Saturday in 1996, I spent most of the afternoon in this caravan with my brother. He'd lugged his huge ancient television in there, connected it by a ridiculously long extension cable, and lit a fire in the little wood burner. We spent hours playing the snares in there that day, and I still remember how cosy it was. We sat and played endless rounds of Street Fighter and, of all things, NBA Jam and Tiger Woods Golf. I can't quite remember why we had those games, because neither one of us were into sports. At one point, my brother turned to me and he said, My friend is coming round later, and he's bringing his PlayStation. I was nine, and I had zero idea of what a PlayStation was. As far as I was concerned, gaming began and ended with the snares, unless I was lucky enough to play on a friend's Mega Drive. I remember defiantly playing NBA Jam right up until the moment my brother's friend arrived. He dropped his black backpack onto a foldaway table, took out a tower of discs. Curiosity grabbed me and I started browsing through these games. I think the majority of them were demo discs. One game caught my eye. Nine-year-old Chris gazed in wonder at that awesome cover and I darted for it, brushing aside some game with a woman in a teal tank top on the front cover and picking up Alien vs Predator. Listener, please forgive me, I was nine, and having seen clips from Alien and not being allowed to watch Predator, the idea of a clearly grown-up game featuring both of them was so exciting. Let's play this one, I shouted, but my brother laughed and he said, nah, we're going to play this one first, and he picked up something called Tomb Raider. And I sulked. All the same, the disc was put into the PlayStation, and I think by this point it's fair to say my life changed forever. Right from the start, 
That music was unlike anything I'd heard in a game before. It was beautiful, haunting, the sound of adventure. The first intro cutscene with the wolves blew my damn mind and I couldn't believe how real it looked. Were they actors? Up until now, games were practically 2D, side-scrolling or isometric at best. I picked up the box and looked at the cover again. I still remember that moment to this day. Every time I see that front cover image, I get a flicker of a momentary overwhelming sensation of the same excitement I felt back then before it passes and I'm no longer nine years old again. My brother took her for a spin and ran down that first corridor. A few muted F-words later he'd got through that arrow trap and I must have torn the controller from his hand to have a go at it. Pressing all sorts, I remember making Lara run up and down that corridor, firing her pistols, two of them, over and over again, laughing like a madman. I couldn't believe it. I'd never played a game so mesmerising. And then the controller was snatched back. Go on, get out now. We want to smoke and mum will kill me if I let you stay in here with us. The next morning, I crept outside and I peered into the caravan through the window. Whoever was playing was making Lara shimmy across the top of a waterfall and kept falling into this pool beneath it. When I was eventually allowed inside, I was permitted only the quickest of glimpses of Lara stood on top of a temple in a valley before the game was switched out for something else. It may even have been Alien vs Predator, I didn't care at that point, because Tomb Raider had cast its spell and I was hooked. A few fleeting glances were enough to begin what would become an obsession. My brother's friend was kind enough to lend us his PlayStation for a few days, and I remember spending the afternoon getting to grips with Lara and the control system in the tomb of Qualapec. Those gold and maroon chambers, trying and failing to leap from those tall blocks and void spikes, working out how switches worked, trying my hand at the first real platforming puzzle I'd ever experienced in a video game. Eventually, I took to exploring the manor and having Lara, then voiced by the wonderful Shelley Blonde, explain how to properly run and jump and climb and swim, which is probably something I should have done first. But I don't think I progressed far past the Tomb of Qualapec when we still had that PlayStation. When it was taken back, I returned to the likes of Zelda and Super Star Wars, and within a few months, my brother had bought his own PlayStation. But he didn't get Tomb Raider. Back then, he got a console with Micro Machines V3 and the first Resident Evil game, both of which I still adore to this day. The next time I remember hearing about Tomb Raider was in primary school. A girl a couple of years younger than me was talking about Lara Croft at lunchtime, and I practically begged her to let me borrow the game. I never thought she'd let me, we weren't exactly close friends, but sure enough the next day she brought it in with her. She quite openly offered it to me as everyone queued to be picked up by their parents at the end of the day, but my teacher spotted it and he promptly tried to confiscate it. You can't bring that into school, it's too expensive, it's rated 15, you're too young. The girl put it back in her bag and me, gutted, tantalised and slightly fuming, left to go and get picked up. But lucky for me, my dad was stood next to the girl's parents and as soon as we got out of the gates, a shifty and very hurried, quick, quick, give it here, give it here, and Tomb Raider was safely hidden inside my bag to take home and play. Funnily enough, I remember talking to the girl the next day and asking her where she'd played up to, and she told me she never managed to complete the first level. It turned out she'd never actually started the game, She'd only been running endlessly around Lara's manor, unsure of what to do in order to progress. But I managed to explain how to start the game and provided her some tips. And that's something that would become much more commonplace further down the line for me. I do have fleeting memories of my first main playthrough. That first time the T-Rex came bounding at Lara through the darkness was... Wow, it still is one of my favourite ever moments in gaming. It was so well done, it felt unscripted, free, almost coincidental, and utterly unexpected. 
No big cutscene to announce it, just a jaw-dropping piece of gameplay that left the gamer to react in total, unrestricted panic and act accordingly. It bonded you with Lara in a way, because she was your avatar in this world, and you were there experiencing things in real time along with her, not just watching it like one of the other FMV videos. I remember frantically scrawling down the symbols from the doors in Palace Midas onto a notepad and trying to decipher them, wondering how they related to the five levers high above them. It made me feel more a part of the game. It wasn't just restricted to a character running around and trying to work out what to do. It felt involving in a way that other games I'd experienced never had before. And being the gamer sadist that I was, I spent many a fun time loading up the game just to turn Lara to gold on the hand of Midas, which was so shiny on the PlayStation, and also throwing her off that unbelievably high ledge in Atlantis, all the way down two and a half screams into the lava below. That definitely sparked a long tradition of trying to do that in most other games in the series as well. I was a strange child. Fun fact. For quite a while I missed the point of a large part of the plot, and I assumed that the Great Pyramid was actually the Great Pyramid of Giza, that Egypt was the location of Atlantis. I know. But over the next few months I played and replayed it, and when I wasn't playing the game itself I'd be outside in the garden, running and jumping and tumbling around pretending to be Lara with makeshift ski-on artifact that I'd glued together out of bits of cut-out cardboard. Sometimes I'd hang out at weekends with school friends, and we'd play similar games, and I'd always try and turn the conversation back to Tomb Raider and try and get them to play the game as well. Cut to a few months down the line, and I saw my brother and his friends playing something on the PlayStation I'd never seen before. Someone driving a speedboat around a narrow canal? The character leapt out of the boat, long hair swinging over a teal top and short brown shorts, two pistol- wait, wait a minute, is this Tomb Raider? Yeah, they made a second one. What? I had no idea they were even making one. But no, I wasn't allowed to stay and watch because, yet again, they were smoking. I can't remember how long it was before I got to play Tomb Raider 2, but I was immediately blown away by the Great Wall of China. That amazing end of the first level, Lara running the gauntlet of traps. This game already felt like it was going to be even better than the first one, and I loved it. New places to see, new environments to explore. One of my best friends kept telling me there were T-Rexes in this game, but I never believed him. I couldn't work out how to get down into that valley, and for ages I assumed he was making it up, until he hand-wrote some very specific instructions, and sure enough, there they were. Later levels I will always associate with a snowboarding game SSX. I'd try and evade an avalanche in that game, and then immediately try and beat Barkang Monastery, which was a total struggle, although I have very fond memories of hunting for prayer wheels while listening to James Brown music in the background. While I loved the introduction of vehicles for Lara to zip around on, the new moves and even bigger mansion, there were parts of the game that I admittedly hated as a ten-year-old. The deck of the Maria Doria was a level I struggled with so much, it was filled with the sort of convoluted level design that I grew to love. But it stressed me out and it frustrated me so much of the time. I also very much blame the underwater levels of this game for my dislike of large open spaces of water in real life. Well. Tomb Raider 2 and Jaws, but everyone blames Jaws, so I'm going to throw this game into the mix. Because if those damn sharks weren't dangerous enough already, throw some barracuda into the equation and don't even get me started on those bloody moray eels. I think I already disliked going in the actual ocean. I wouldn't actually learn to swim in real life for about another year, I was quite slow at that, but this game did nothing to encourage me to get into the water. 
So thanks for that core design, it took nearly 20 years before I even started to get over that fear. However, this game did include the Temple of Xi'an level, which to this day is still one of my favourites in the entire series. That initial trapdoor that sends Lara tumbling down beneath the Great Wall and into an ancient subterranean cavern, complete with a stunning lakeside temple full of bubbling mercury. It's basically trap after trap with some awesome interweaving areas that rival that of Palace Midas. Seeing areas before working out how to find your way to them, it was such a challenge to explore but it was so rewarding all the same. I think it was around this point that my friends started to notice I was a big fan of the series. I'm not sure what gave it away, perhaps it was how I started collecting cutouts of Lara, or printing renders and keeping them in a big scrapbook, or how I'd glued some of them to my favourite school books, or tried to turn every conversation towards the topic of something to do with Tomb Raider. It seems that my obsession with the series had reached far and wide by now. The house would get phone calls from my brother's friends, not asking to speak to him though, much to his annoyance but to speak to me because they were stuck on Tomb Raider and I'd easily be able to tell them the item or key or switch that they were missing and where to find them. It was down to a magazine that I didn't miss out on further news about the series. I remember being super excited to see Lara on yet another front cover of a PlayStation magazine, boasting the third game in the series would be the biggest yet. A big article in the middle of the issue had Lara's next locations lined up across the bottom of the pages, little thumbnail images teasing each new awesome place. The third game really blew me away right from the start, because that lush Indian jungle strewn with temples was unlike anything I'd ever seen in a video game before. It was stunning! The levels were bigger, more complex and more varied than ever before, it let you choose the order of Lara's destinations, and I think after those first levels I had Lara venture to the South Pacific Islands. And if the jungle blew me away, then that coastal village damn near ended me. I often imagine a faithful recreation of this level in a modern graphics engine, even with oversaturated cartoonish colours, and just imagine how breathtaking that would look. I remember reaching Nevada one Saturday morning in mid-December 1998. I remember exploring the desert that morning, then going to collect the Christmas tree with my dad in the afternoon. Then in the evening, going to an end-of-term Christmas party at a friend's house down the road where I introduced people to hits from Run DMC of all things. Strange what you remember, but I always linked this memory to Tomb Raider 3. Another extremely fond memory I have of that game was from Christmas itself that same year. We'd drag the television into the larger dining room each year to make the festive season that little bit more special. While my nana was still with us, she'd come and stay with us over the holiday. I recall having reached Thames Wharf on Christmas afternoon, she sat in her chair and watched as Lara leapt from roof to roof until I miscalculated a jump and Lara plummeted to her demise. Cue a gasp from my nana. Well, I didn't think it would end like that. Bless her, she thought she was watching television, but I even tried to introduce her to the game after that. As I did with everyone. Starting with Tomb Raider 1, I passed her the controller, but all she managed to do was hold down the circle button and have Lara endlessly flip little rolls on the floor, which made us both laugh quite a bit. In one of the London levels, Lara makes use of a speedy handheld underwater submarine to zip around in. I had no internet at the time, but I truly believed I was the only person in the world who managed to consistently break the vehicle and make it bug out. By getting off the submarine and quickly pressing the button to get back on, the engine would start, but the vehicle would now turn into a flying machine, and this let Lara soar around above the level in places she definitely wasn't supposed to go. 
Come to think of it, I don't know if I've ever spoken to anyone about that or if it's a commonly known glitch. It was around this time that gaming started to become a new source of education for me. Not directly in-game from Tomb Raider 3, but it definitely contributed to the zeitgeist of popular media from 1998, with it being a game based on a meteorite impact that came out in the same year as the film Deep Impact, and not long since the Halibop comet passed overhead. For a while I was really intrigued by meteors and space, and it encouraged me to read up on anything I could find on the subject from my local library. Now that sounds old. But that's until Tomb Raider 4 came out. The last revelation changed things for me. This game had me totally obsessed with researching ancient Egyptian mythology. I collected a shelf of books on the subject, gathered as many little statuettes of the gods as I could find, and begged my parents to take us on a family trip to Egypt. The game itself was spectacular, and to this day it's still my favourite in the series, along with the original. The backstory of young Lara, the rivalry between her and her mentor Von Croy, and then just everything Egyptian was fantastic. Lara had more awesome moves and abilities than ever before, she accumulated them as the games progressed, and she was tired, she was pissed off, and more badass than we'd ever seen her. The sublime Jonelle Elliott really did well with her voice for these games. By now, my brother had moved out, and he lived in a small stone cottage on the edge of a forest dell in the heart of the Welsh countryside. I remember I was 12 when The Last Revelation was released, and I went to stay with him for a weekend, taking the PlayStation with me. We played Tomb Raider 4 until the early hours of the morning. As a rainstorm pummeled the windows and rooftop, the damp smell of the cottage mingled with the large wood fire downstairs and the room full of joystick incense smoke. That night, we reached the shores of Alexandria. That stunning sunset area featured a greater sense of exploration than any part of the series to date. It felt so free, so fun. While the game dealt with the hefty theme of greed and reaping its repercussions, it, it also possessed a wonderful sense of not taking itself too seriously, as Lara leapt around shooting explosive arrows at Jason and the Argonaut-inspired reanimated skeletons. The end of that game was pretty traumatic. It's pretty common knowledge, so I don't feel the need for a spoiler warning now that... Wow, 20 years have passed, when I say that at the end of Tomb Raider 4 it seems that Lara dies. Exhausted from her trek around Egypt and fight with an ancient chaos god, Lara just seems to give up as part of the actual Great Pyramid of Egypt collapses on top of her and apparently kills her. It was a bit gutting to see an ending like that, but honestly I didn't pay much attention to what it meant at the time. With a new game being released year after year, I think part of me assumed that another one would just happen. Sometime. Meanwhile, I was busy up to my neck in Egyptian myth. I'd learned how to write in hieroglyphs and sketched out a translation of that I Semeket High Priest of Horus engraving from the amulet in the game, which I proudly framed in my room because I was just that kind of geek. As a side note, we eventually did get to go to Egypt as a result of my pestering and pestering. We stayed in Luxor, and it was an absolute dream come true. It was the first time I'd travelled to a real-life location from a game. I got to explore the Valley of the Kings and temples of Karnak and Luxor, naturally knowing all of the lore and history of the places before even seeing them. Before leaving the Temple of Karnak, our guide took us off a little beaten track to where an armed man stood guard in front of a small stone chamber. A short heated argument later and the guard let me and my parents pass, and inside was an incredible black statue of Sekhmet, the lion-headed goddess. It was one of the coolest adventure moments I've experienced, 
and I stood there grinning like a fool for a photo next to the statue while wearing one of my several Lara Croft t-shirts. It felt like such a journey for me, because it was something that had been building up for about four years, which now I say it doesn't sound like that much of time, but it culminated in such an amazing experience, all thanks to a gaming obsession. Later that year, I was among some lucky people who received the marketing adverts for the fifth Tomb Raider game. A letter came through the post, sealed with a sticker, only to be opened in the event of my death, and a return addressed from Croft Manor. Inside was a photo of Lara, a letter, and excerpts from a journal talking about the artefacts from the upcoming flashback game, Chronicles. For the longest time, that was my favourite and most prized item in my Tomb Raider collection. Good going to Eidos at the time, they managed to make a small piece of marketing make a kid feel quite special. I remember getting that game for Christmas, and my first playthrough was accompanied by Stephen Fry reading the audiobook for the first Harry Potter book on the radio. It's pretty fitting, really, because the first level of Chronicles and that first Harry Potter book both dealt with the Philosopher's Stone. I enjoyed the game, but even as a kid I felt like the formula was getting a little old, the game was deep, and I'd enjoy it much more with time, but back then I wasn't totally enthralled with it like I was with the other games, but... While Lara looked awesome in her cat suit, the addition of chit-chat character in the form of Zip was less than appealing. Still, the game oozed atmosphere in other places and awesome new moves. Around the time the Cradle of Life film was being made, my sister and I went on a bit of an adventure. Hearing word that it would be filmed in some parts of Snowdonia National Park in North Wales, we set out to try our luck, seeing as though we only lived about half an hour away. One place seemed to fit the bill as we passed a long stretch of road filled with film production vans and a sort of crew convoy. Nearby was Llinguinant, one of my favourite lakes in the region, and on its shore were some unusual structures. We parked the car up past the lake and we snuck around the shore, sneaking through the trees and crawling through gorse, I'm not joking, to try and get a closer look. It turns out that this was the set for part of the film, set in China, where Lara crashes a stealth plane into the lake before being given a motorbike. The motorbike itself was clearly visible outside one of the house structures, which were of course only sort of three-quarter shells of houses with nothing inside. Unfortunately, we didn't see Angelina, but at the same time, it was pretty awesome. And then Tomb Raider sort of vanished for a while. It dropped off the radar for a year or so with no news or marketing, other games filled the void, and I think my obsession died off a little at that point. After a while, the sixth game was announced, and Lara Croft Tomb Raider The Angel of Darkness boasted some pretty gritty potential, and an excitement started to build. I think it was late 2002 when I went on a school trip to France, and our bus stopped at a service station. I bought a PS2 magazine to read on the journey, and I was enraptured by an article which claimed to be the first big look at Angel of Darkness. Criminal on the run, the darkest Tomb Raider ever, Lara has brutally murdered her former mentor, or has she? The visuals looked stunning. Lara had never looked this good, and it looked so new and fresh, and I was sold. I eagerly awaited the game's release, and it came the following summer. I was picked up from school by my brother, who'd already played the game. First thing he said, it's cool. Controls are a bit tricky, though. It was the first time we'd had to use the analogue stick instead of the D-pad, and that was a learning curve in itself. I loved the game from the off. Incredible music, 
awesome updated Lara and damn cool story. I don't remember experiencing any bugs or glitches, quite honestly, and I remember being really intrigued by the story and over time that became my next big obsession as well. Core had updated and brought new life to the series as far as I was concerned. They'd made big changes, but they'd kept the heart and soul of the series intact. Lara Croft, on her own, exploring from much more modern areas, trekking down deep into some ancient secret locations. I loved it. It was autumn 2003 when I read online that Core were likely going to take Lara back to the jungles and dinosaurs for the next big game, due to negative reaction to AOD. I still wasn't really properly connected to the internet by that point, so the extent of this negative reaction wasn't really grasped by me. I'd enjoyed the game and I was eager for more. But that's when the first big lull in my enthusiasm for Tomb Raider began. Other things took over, schoolwork, other interests, other hobbies. No press, no new games, no new media, it was a quiet time. Of course, nobody really knew of the absolute catastrophic upheaval that was happening behind the scenes, as Lara was being wrenched from core and handed to Crystal Dynamics. Tomb Raider made its comeback when I was in the final year of high school. Her new look was plastered all over magazine covers, previews everywhere, an excited buzz being generated by the press about how Lara had never been better, that this was a return to form, it felt modern and fresh and relevant again. How could I not be excited? I was swept up in the hype, eagerly awaiting Legend. Bring it on, a brand new adventure after three years. I bought it immediately on release day, I rushed home to play it. At last, it was flashy, it was fancy, it was, it was, it, what the hell was this? It was a new era for Tomb Raider, and not just for the series itself, that was for damn sure. To this day, I find it difficult to talk about Tomb Raider Legend without feeling utterly bummed out. It was short, it was overly simplistic, and it felt more like an arcade Tomb Raider simulator than an actual game worthy of the name. The disregard of anything that came before it was an immediate put-off. This wasn't the same person as the previous games, this was someone new. Basically, a Lara imposter is how I used to sum up my feelings towards her. A new backstory, a family-focused Lara compared to the rebellious adventurer we'd come to love over the years. She was accompanied by the constant atmosphere-ruining, blithering, chattering Zip and Alistair, who to this day I fail to see the actual functional point of. Does Lara need technology help in tombs? Nope. Does Lara goddamn Croft need someone to tell her about archaeology and myths and history, or is she that damn awesome character who does all her own bloody research and knows stuff? Well, it seems this new type of Lara was the former type, and a step back for independence at every turn. The gameplay pissed me off for its very straightforward, hub-free nature. Rather than exploring and platforming through large open spaces, Lara spent most of her time clinging to walls, shimmying around from abundantly obvious ledge to ledge, requiring very little actual exploration or thought. Instead of developing a fun and free combat that let you plan something of a strategy while fighting, Lara was locked into a circle with her enemy, unnaturally twisting and turning against her own body in some horrifying act of contortion while aiming through massive garish arcade targets that encircled the enemy right in front of Lara, just in case you didn't know who she was shooting at. Like the rest of the gameplay, this had been turned into something very straightforward. Don't think about it, just do it, this is how we want you to play the game, from the developers. Don't even get me started on the damn quick time events. Large button prompts would appear on the screen, ripping the player out of the moment, restricting control to the most basic of arcade, hit the button at the right time, or do it over and over again style gameplay. For an audience who grew up hardened by the trap-filled areas of the previous 10 years, 
I remember thinking that, quite frankly, this felt like an insult. Crystal had torn the soul out of Tomb Raider and Lara Croft at every given opportunity. That was when I properly started using the internet. I talked to the forums, full of rage and fire, livid at what the hell had become of my favourite series. It appeared there were a schism between folks who worshipped the newly termed classics, i.e. the games of core design, and a new audience. Consensus was that Crystal Dynamics had sought to widen the series' audience and fanbase by appealing to people who found previous games too difficult, and to their credit, they succeeded. It wasn't uncommon to find people saying, I used to hate Tomb Raider, but Legend is awesome! But thankfully I wasn't alone. I made many lifelong friends across various online forums, all of whom were much calmer and more able to formulate their arguments into coherent complaints, compared to what I believed was my own ceaseless barrage of fury. Honestly, that anger took a long time to subside. It might still be there a little bit. But then it happened. Not two months after the release of Legend, a glimmer of hope. On the sixth day of the sixth year of the six months, or possibly the day before 666, I just remember it being very close to that demonic day because I went to see the Omen remake, something happened that caused even more trouble for the series. A trailer was leaked suggesting that the original 1996 classic was being remade for its 10th anniversary, and to everyone's surprise, it was being developed by Core Design. The fanbase erupted. I remember that period being one of the happiest, most exciting times to be on the forums. The game looked amazing, those original areas were faithfully recreated and brought to new life with new moves, and the original developers. People who, at the time, I felt, knew what Tomb Raider was. But it wasn't to be. A period of heartache followed. As it transpired, yet another core Eidos Crystal drama had occurred. Eidos had decided that Crystal should be the team to make the anniversary game. They took the series away from core for a second and final time. Naturally, there was a great deal of disappointment, arguments, and fighting. At one point, someone came onto the forums claiming to be from Crystal Dynamics, but, considering their identity, they began gloating, patronising lifelong fans of the series, and demeaning the past developers. This didn't go down well, and it spread like wildfire, and it cemented disdain from fans towards the new team. But fans didn't give up. Determined to find out as much as we could, some of us tried everything we could to reach out to the remnants of the core design team. I remember sending off email after email, imploring them for any snippets of information pieces of media, or anything they could share with us about their cancelled 10th anniversary project. Concept art, development screenshots, gameplay videos, animation tests, game documents, eventually they all found their way online. And while they were great to lap up, each new snippet of juicy detail just made us long for that game even more. It was quite a creative time for me. I'd revisited the Angel of Darkness and really threw myself into the plot. I lamented the unfinished storyline and was determined to find out more. So I did my research, and I found out that the lead story writer was a man called Murty Schofield, and he'd just released a novel called The Shadow Histories about a war that waged in secret across time. I lapped it up and I found his contact details on his website, and decided to send him an email to find out as much as I could about the rest of Lara's story after the Angel of Darkness. It wasn't long before I received an email from a member of the Tolkien family, yes, THE Tolkien family who I think was part of Murty's publishing team, now, if you think I'm obsessed with Tomb Raider, then just know I have as much love for the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, so you can imagine how utterly psyched I was to get that email. 
which was just to thank me for my interest and to say I was very fast to email since the website hadn't been live very long, and I was one of the first ones to message. Murty was more than happy to chat about his unused ideas and the future Lara would have had should the series have stayed with Core Design. It was a pretty exhilarating time. I shared all the information with others online and from then on people started trying to find out more and more and unravel the mysteries and mythos of that game. It inspired my own research into the topics raised by that story. The ancient scrapped books from the Bible, the Nephilim, human-angel hybrids, giants, monsters, Old Testament mythology, it fascinated me and it still does. I read so many books on the subject and it desperately made me want to experience a continuation to the Angel of Darkness. I started to teach myself graphic design, and I learned how to use Photoshop all while using the images and renders of Lara and Tomb Raider, just so I could try and create a digital comic to illustrate how that story's future could have looked. I got pretty decent at it, and I enjoyed it. I'd never been particularly arty with drawings or painting, but digitally I found a bit of talent in myself. I made new friends on the Tomb Raider forums and made a bit of a presence for myself. I like to think in an artsy sort of way and not just for the scorn I was constantly levelling at developers at Crystal. After a while, I was invited to be a moderator on that forum. You won't get any gossip from me about that, but believe me, whatever you see in terms of aggro from people on there, it's nothing compared to the hell trash the mods have to wade through on a daily basis. It was around that time I set up a YouTube channel. A quick check tells me that was practically 13 years ago. For about 3 or 4 years I'd already enjoyed making short stop motion videos and playing with my dad's video camera, and having a YouTube channel really pushed me to learn how to edit properly. What did I use? You guessed it, footage from Tomb Raider. And once I started, you couldn't stop me. I made music videos, naff little clip compilations, I edited cutscenes, threw together random gameplay with new music, changed sound effects, experimented left and right. I loved it. I loved editing, and I love editing footage of Tomb Raider. It was so much fun. I'd even started to make my own original content. Tomb Raider First Person Shooter was my first big hit back then, where I'd film myself in first person pretending to be Lara as she explored, well, my house. I'd look for keys and treasure, face off against my pet dogs, and my brother dressed up like some generic video game enemy. I made three of them, and I have such fun memories of making them. But going back over them now, there are so many old videos that make me cringe. One series in particular I can't even watch and I cringe just thinking about them are the bizarre Lara videos I used to make. I'd replace Lara's voice with clips from other games or films for comic effect. Apparently people quite liked them and they racked up a huge bunch of views, but I can't bring myself to go back and look over those again. But I'm still immensely proud of the collaborations I did with some people from the forums. An incredibly talented friend called Jenny provided voice work for so many of my videos and inspired me tremendously with her Tomb Raider writing that explored some of the untold tales and behind the scenes of characters from the series. Back then, I also started a very long-running series called Talk Through Tomb Raider, in which I effectively tore the game to pieces, questioned Lara's every move and found myself exasperated as to why anyone would put switches so far away from doors. They were a lot of fun to make and a massive amount of work went into each one. More of those are planned, by the way, but damn, they are going to take some time. As far as the games went, by this point, much of my feelings towards the series continued along the same path. General disappointment, although interspersed with some moments of total satisfaction. The anniversary game we got was effectively a truncated version of the original. It took the largest and most memorable areas and made them bigger. Various levels were butchered and combined with others. 
Still, Lara was stuck to climbing around the walls, awkward combat, and the game was plagued with those damn quicktime events which ruined immersion and restricted control. This was the point at which my brother stopped playing the series. He never managed to kill those centaurs guarding the Tomb of Tihokan. A series of promotional videos and behind-the-scenes sneak peeks revealed more about the mindset of the people in charge of developing the game. The way they spoke about the original was at the very least surprising, and at worst downright disrespectful, patronising and arrogant. It did nothing to ease tensions or fix the growing rift in the fanbase. I will say, however, 2008's Tomb Raider Underworld was mostly a pleasure for me. He had great scope, globetrotting, new moves, better explorative gameplay. For me, the Mexico and Thailand levels practically nailed old-school Tomb Raider, and I wanted much, much, much more like that. However, the story still insisted on hammering home the cliched orphan-following-her-parents-footsteps narrative, which totally bored me and would continue to bore me... well, let's just say I'm still utterly bored of it. I left online Tomb Raider sites not long after that game. Years passed without word of a new game in the series, and honestly my interest was at an all-time low. I continued to work on my own videos, but that's when life really started taking over. My first job, first relationship, friends, partying. I was still playing games, but I hadn't picked up a Tomb Raider game in a while. I started using social media more as opposed to forums, and found that lots of people still talked about the older games, and there was still an enormous fanbase for classic Lara. That was enough. Honestly, it rekindled my love for the series, and it kept me going as a fan. 2013 brought us the reboot. I have to say, I was barely excited for the game at this point, and when I played it, I had quite a mixed response. It was fantastic that Tomb Raider was back in such a big way, everyone talking about Lara and the series, and no doubt the game was quite the technical achievement in many ways, but it fell even further away from what is considered the heart and soul of the series than ever before. Then again, that's the point of a reboot, I suppose, to change everything, to start fresh. I didn't take to the forums, nor did I even voice any concern online. Just like when Crystal Dynamics first took hold of the series, I'd hear many people, face to face, say how they never liked the series before, but this new game was great. The reboot brought with it a very familiar vibe of other games that were out at the time. Gears of War, Uncharted, so even when the reboot came, it already possessed a, a been there, done that feeling. And yet, even with its brand new facelift, they decided to keep and rehash the following in her father's footsteps story, to show it right from the start and give Lara a proper origins. Batman begins, as it were. That was the main thing I took issue with. It's all well and good to have an origin story, but the newly remixed fundamental differences in character meant that this version of Lara was going to grow into a brand new person anyway. We weren't suddenly going to see classic Lara reappear, because her past and her motivations even her personality were so fundamentally different. But, never mind. What did it really matter? They put so much effort behind this that there was no way they were ever going to return to any semblance of classic Tomb Raider. I was disgruntled. Not long after, I met a guy on Twitter who changed my life in so many ways. A friend I'd met through Tomb Raider had retweeted something I'd said. This guy had seen it, took a shine to me and followed me. There's no doubt, I don't know how we would have met if I didn't make the friends I had through the Tomb Raider community. We started seeing each other before long. We started seeing each other before long. 
then a pretty damn cool trailer for the next game was released, Rise of the Tomb Raider. A cheesy title, I thought, but at least the trailer looked pretty damn cool. It featured new locations and a hint of Lara's more sociopathic nature. And guess what, it's a Microsoft exclusive, so I'll have to wait a year after the Xbox players get to play it. Fury doesn't begin to cover it. Not just for myself, this deal was damaging. It was a slap in the face, done not of love for the series nor the fans, but for the money, make no mistake. It added yet more resentment towards the developers, and it made people feel alienated. It actually turned lifelong friends of mine away from the franchise once and for all. Bad move. But this was the push I needed to truly throw myself back into the community and make some noise. I was asked to start writing for the fan site Survivor Reborn, and right I did. Cue rant after rant about Lara's new character, the reboot, her new personality, her family obsession, the endless list of cliches that were being shoehorned into her character development. At the time, my boyfriend Alf, he'd played some of the old games, but hadn't experienced the reboot series. One of our first bonding gaming experiences was playing through the 2013 game. I fondly, well, I think fondly is the right word, I fondly remember his approach to the shantytown section of the game, whereas I had struggled to duck and cover through that area, taking my time and taking out the enemies in a carefully coordinated attack, he found the best way was to pick up a shotgun, run up to the people, shoot them in the face, avoid their fire, and run to the next checkpoint. It's still a point of joking contention between us. Here's me still complaining that he didn't play the game correctly, and there's him boasting that he's just better at Tomb Raider than I am, and he bloody well isn't. But regardless of how I felt about the state of the series, it prompted discussion. There was never any hostility from me towards people who enjoyed the new games, but many, many online chats to find out why people did and didn't like them. More friends were made, and the highest praise I can give the new current series of games is that it did expand the fanbase and it made it more diverse with people from all kinds of backgrounds. It's always warmed me to see people talk about how this series has helped them through rough patches in their life, and Reboot and Rise were no different. People would occasionally take to Twitter to express how the games had helped them overcome difficulties and comforted them during low periods of mental health, and quite honestly, that's just absolutely brilliant. I think any series should be proud to have provided such a source of escapism and entertainment. They're still not what I would have called Tomb Raider, but for sure, the positive effect they had on people were fantastic. After the Rise era, there was another quiet time, mostly dominated by the series' 20th anniversary. I was fortunate enough to befriend the immensely lovely Shelley Blonde, Lara's original voice actress, and if you'd have told nine-year-old me that in 20 years I'd be joking and exchanging food recipes with the voice of the lady who brought down Atlantis, I'd probably have called you crazy. During mine and Alf's civil partnership after-party, two lifelong friends from the Tomb Raider forums, Square Enix's Jay and Laurie, brought us a voicemail message from Shelley, who was singing congratulations to both Alf and I. To this day, it was one of the most surreal and lovely messages I'd ever had. Later that year, she was kind enough to reprise her role as Lara for an animation I worked on for the 20th anniversary. You can imagine how much of an absolute dream come true it was to animate the original 3D model of Lara to Shelley's iconic voice. I'm still reeling from it, to be honest. Anyway, a while after Lara's 20th had passed, it was announced that Eidos Montreal were developing Shadow of the Tomb Raider, the most recent in the series, instead of Crystal Dynamics. Well, to say I was excited was an understatement, Finally, for the first time since 2006, I felt genuinely buzzed and hopeful that this game may actually step away from the constraints that Crystal had imposed on Lara and the series. As part of Survivor Reborn, I got to attend press parties and game tests, and the game really thrilled me. 
the game did indeed step away from the hordes of enemies that Lara waded through in previous games, and it focused much more on exploration, platforming, and puzzles. And the game was actually filled with tombs and temples and jungle environments. The story, while yes, it still had references to Lara's parents, focused much more on her character, her own mistakes. It was quite reminiscent of the journey she goes on through The Last Revelation. It was this new Lara at the end of her tether, battered, bruised, and just outright done. One section of the game leaves her with nothing to lose, and she transitions into the calm, silent sociopath that's just much more in line with the Lara we used to know. I was damn pleased with Shadow, and you can check out how excited I was in my review it on my YouTube channel. It had some flaws, but really, it brought back the fun and excitement, it brought back proper exploration and puzzles, incredible tombs, and the new development team brought a respect for the original source material and an understanding of just how cool a modern Tomb Raider game based on the classics could be. I am so, so grateful to that team at Eidos Montreal for that, and for every time they fought to bring the classic elements to the table. I expect Crystal will be back in the reins for the next game, whenever that may be, and so I only hope they take a lot of inspiration from Eidos, and they listen to fans, not just the fans of the reboot series, but from across the fanbase. So here we are, 1996 to present day, and the journey that got me where I am today. I really do owe so much to the series, it cemented my love for games, it gave me so much escapism, it generated so much creativity, and it set my imagination on fire. I've learned life skills from it, skills that have landed me jobs. It's helped me realise my career path, and that I wanted to make videos and films. It's the reason I work in media. I can't count the number of lifelong friends I've made because of it, from other fans to people who made the games. Friends who attended my wedding to the man I met, thanks to another fan of the series. The series is 23 years young. It has an incredible legacy as one of the longest-running game series, and boasts an enormous community of fans that grow with each new adventure, and I can't wait to see what the future holds for it. Yet there is one thing I hope changes as time goes on. Like many fan bases, there is a toxicity present if you look closely enough. People who deem their preferences and opinions more important than others, spewing venom and hatred if people don't conform to their way of thinking. Personal targeted attacks. The series past has caused many rifts, but the games will outlive them all, so isn't it time we moved on from our differences? If we talk through them, find our common ground, and try our best to get along? Lara and Tomb Raider aren't going anywhere anytime soon. They're the reason we're fans. They're important to us all for a number of varied reasons, and they mean different things to different people from different parts of the world with different backgrounds. It brings us all together. That is one of the series' unspoken crowning achievements and it's worth celebrating. Thank you for listening to my rambling trip down memory lane. If you like this episode, let me know. You can follow this podcast and contact me over on Twitter at RaiderCastPod, or even under the corresponding video on my YouTube channel, Azrael Khan. See you next time.